you are listening to the empowering indian expats podcast if you are an indian living abroad feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories this is your host ehsan ali a long time it professional living in sydney australia who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories the strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring indian experts to help you and i reach our full potential if you are a professional feeling stuck in your job or career and keen to build a thriving career this conversation with today's guest is going to be very valuable for you anu kukar started her career in accounting and today she is a senior leader in technology with focus on risk management and cyber security most professionals find it challenging to grow within the same industry how did anu did it changing the industry and still be highly successful so without further ado let's talk to anu and get to know straight from her hi anu welcome to the show Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I'm very excited to uncover your story, Anu. You have a very interesting uh, uh, transition that I haven't found so far. So, uh, very very keen to open up your story. You are an accounting graduate uh, who is a technology leader today. That is absolutely correct. I call yeah. it C to C: Chartered Accountant to Cyber Security. Chartered Accountant to Cyber Security. <laughs> So why don't you introduce yourself your own way you would probably do much better than I would do Okay this is going to be interesting was to introduce myself I'll say so I'll introduce myself in two ways so something unique one I'll do traditionally I'll go I've got 20 years experience 10 of those years in consulting the mm. other 10 years is in industry so a really good mix and it's across different industries I think I've pretty much worked in every single industry all of my experience has been in australia that's a traditional if i was to go a innovative and different way of introducing myself i would go tell your audience about what i actually do and what yeah. i actually do and who i am i'll explain that through my name so anu a n u a stands for advisor so i yeah. advise clients i advise the c level and board and security professionals and risk professionals around various aspects around cybersecurity and risk management. Yeah. The N in Anu N is for nurturing talent. So I'm a people leader. I look after, mentor and coach and support other people in my team and virtually or indirectly in my team to help grow their career or help them uh, take a career transition into cyber. Yeah. And the U is what I do is I untangle risks. so whether it's cyber risk data risk technology risk any kind of enterprise risk i help people untangle that that's so awesome that is I'll, what i do i'll buy your second introduction any day <laughs> <laughs> so that was wonderful and uh, my curiosity when i wanted to bring you on the podcast was to find out how somebody who started as a chartered accountant first of all what was the drive why would she move into technology and how did she do it in my community when i i am a career coach and when i coach people i ask them this question why are you doing this for so long oh i want to move forward but i'm not sure if i'll succeed in the new role and i'm not sure 
if somebody will offer me the new role because I haven't done before and uh, it doesn't really match 100% with my skills and experience. And I'm like, okay, but that's the case for everybody who moves forward because it will never match 100% of what you've done before to what uh, you're supposed to be doing in the next role. So it's just about, you know, changing role. That's a small thing in my mind. Here you have done like a, you know, industry, the whole, like it's a, something like somebody becomes a doctor and tomorrow you say he's doing engineering. Really? How did you do that? So that's, I, <laughs> that's a good question. So let me, maybe if I start by sharing um, what Where my journey has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we start by number one, I'll start what I've done and then I can go in and share why I changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then more importantly, give some practical uh, tips for any of the people listening. How do you actually go about it? Done, that's it. <laughs> okay, excellent. So let, let's start by number one, really what I did. So what's been the change? I didn't go from a chartered accountant straight to cyber professional. It's been a 20-year career. So I started as a chartered accountant. That's number one. Then I moved in and became an internal auditor slash doing some strategy. Then I moved into more risk, governance, compliance, regulatory. Then I moved into more risk innovation, third-party supply chain risk, tech risk, data risk, cyber risk, and then finally, cybersecurity, strategy, risk, and compliance, which is what I do at IBM right now. So it's sort of like five key stages, but ultimately that's meant over 20 years, it's been chartered accountant to cyber professional. Right. And so if I explain why I did those changes or how they came about, so if I start by, I think there's an inherent value or the kind of person I am is that I like new things. Maybe it's the whole sort of, I grew up uh, playing Lego. So Lego, you kind of have a set, but it was not one of those sets where you have to build a castle. It was one of those, here are all the Lego. You build what your imagination comes up with. So I had the same Lego set that I would make something, destroy it, make something new. Yes. So from my childhood when I, so I was born and brought up in Copenhagen, Denmark, but I've got an Indian heritage background. I've never lived in India. Okay. But being brought up with the Indian cultural values. So that Lego, that kind of really explains who I am in terms of um, liking new things. Mm. And I also get bored doing the same thing. So yeah. if I have to do the same checklist or the same five steps every day in my job, I get bored. Yeah. I have this thing of new things, learning, and kind of building that new Lego set from a kid that I was part of my upbringing in Scandinavia. Yeah. And that's really why I've really changed throughout the 20 years, whether it's been a chartered accountant and sort of moving into internal audit. Each time it's been, let's try something new. Let's see what else we can learn. And then I think really when I've come back to the end and I've gone cybersecurity, it's been really about the purpose. So Mm. for me, why I really felt close to cybersecurity is because of its purpose. Like my team and I, we have a purpose around protecting and securing critical mm. for infrastructure in Australia and New Zealand. Now that's right. the purpose I believe in. And so I think that's been part of my journey as well. That's awesome. So that's very interesting. You grew up, uh, when did you move to Australia from Denmark? So it would have been, I was a teenager. So teenager, I did okay. my sort of high school and uni and master's degree here. Fantastic. You speak Danish? I do indeed, yes. So Danish is my first language, then Hindi, and then English when I arrived in Australia. 
And that's awesome. That's that's another difference from the cybersecurity professional we were talking about. So why did you pick up accounting? You know, I want to start from there because now with with experience uh, comes wisdom, and then you start to look at yeah, I'm doing this job, I'm making my living, but am I really doing connected to my vision? What do I really what do I really stand for? And all of those questions we start asking very late in our life. Yeah, um, that's it. It's a good one. Let, let's explore that. And then I'll, I'll come back to the going how I went about it. Because I think that's yeah. probably what people listening want to know. How do you do that? Yeah. So let's go in a bit more. So I actually did a commerce degree at UNSW in Sydney, Australia. And I majored in accounting and technology. So information systems was my major and accounting okay. was my major. I did all okay. the subjects to either do a master's in IT or go and do a chartered accountancy. Now, when I was at uni, there was this whole 2000, oh, technology, God, what's going to happen? And I think a part of me kind of went like a bit like the immigrants coming in, a bit of safety net. So I went, let's go and pursue accounting, and we will use the technology to bring it in to make accounting better and enable accounting. So I already had that mindset. But I was coding. I love video games and I was coding and creating video games, computer games back then. Coding video games. Yeah, that's what I thought about uni assignments. We had to create these little games and I loved it. Mm. And I think the little bit of that security that I need a job that's going to make sure that I've got career growth. And and I think there was a little bit of fear going on. And Mm. so from a safety angle, I went, you know what? Accounting, chartered accountant, I can still add value. And there is a lot of learning. Like uh, when you do your chartered accountancy program, you cover tax, audit, financial statements, advisory, strategy. It's so broad and you can add a lot of value. So I thought, I'll still learn. Technology will help me. Yeah. When I went into internal audit and the others, as I went through, again, similar kind of mindset. It was about, I can learn something new and I can add value and make a difference. Right. Okay, so that mindset of adding value was always there. And that's definitely key. I mean, any business will thrive only when there is a value. And especially in employment, uh, uh, in 2000, that's similar time I started my career. We never thought about value. We thought about uh, doing work properly. And employer employer used to take care of our employment and you know career growth and everything. But today, if we don't think of the value that bring in marketplace, we don't have a job for long. I mean, we may have a mediocre job but not a not a career so yeah, no, that's, 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 that's an interesting point and I, I deliberately i call it out because that's so important and people might listen to it and say oh yeah okay okay but it's not okay that's the key you know if you can't really figure out what value if you x amount is what you take from a company if you're not creating 10x amount then you're not really of high value okay fantastic so you were already always thinking on the value side of it so you got into a job how was finding job during that time after you finished your recording was it easy difficult or i think um, the difference was that i actually started working whilst i was at uni so after first year of uni i found a job at a tax agent agent. so i started being a tax agent i used to get those uh, shoe boxes and with receipts in it clients would drop off a shoe box and (laughs) Looking at the receipts, we used to do the tax returns for individuals, companies, uh, trusts and partnerships. So I actually found that first job, it was advertised on the uni notice board. So not not on the website, on the uni notice board that I was checking out. And it was really good because it was part-time. And so I could fit, I would put all my uni 
lectures and tutoring classes in two or three days. Yeah. And then the other two or three days, yeah. I would then go and work. Awesome. So you became a good, uh, knowledgeable tax consultant while you were still studying. Exactly, exactly. And so basically, when I finished uni, then I had already accumulated enough work experience to be eligible for the chartered accountancy program. Right. And so having that experience under my belt and then starting my CA, I think that, that gave me a head start in terms of then uh, applying for jobs. And I, I moved on and uh, joined Deloitte in consulting. Fantastic. And from there, I went, I actually did an internal move. So, and that's part of why when you think, how did I make that transition? I went into Deloitte in tax and then there was an opportunity that came on the same floor in the office. Yeah. So there was no lockdown. There. Okay. <laughs> but the tax team and the risk and audit team used to sit on the same floor. Okay. And so you meet in the kitchen, you chat. I think it's again about, are you talking to people? Are you being open and approachable? And I'd be chatting with someone in the kitchen and they're like, what are you doing? And what do you do? And they're like, oh, you know, tax, we, we've got to do a tax internal audit. We know how to do internal audit, but we don't have a tax expert. Would you mind helping us? Mm, okay. And I said, again, because I like learning, mm. I want to try new things. I said, sure, but I want you to teach me the internal audit yeah. framework because I don't know yeah. it. So we did that job where they taught me internal audit and I brought the tax SME right. experience. Right. And the client was so happy and we could see this consulting opportunity that more clients needed it. So then we started having a conversation on, would you like to move in? Is there an opportunity for me to maybe do more of this? Right. And so I kind of said, I would love to, but I want to learn more of the new stuff. I don't want to just be doing tax. So we agreed that I would slowly do less tax more of risk. and learn more of the others. Yeah. And then slowly by the end of it, I was doing more strategy, enterprise, internal audits and getting new opportunities. But it was the tax experience that gave me the first opportunity for the first jump. Got it. Got it. So it's well, yeah, we can connect the dots backward and uh, you, know, you could very clearly. And when did you start to get into managerial role? Because today you are a, a partner at uh, IBM and that's a, a pretty senior role with uh, lots of people responsibility. Uh, when, when... Yeah, I'll, I'll make one slide correction, associate partner. But yes, partners okay. in the time. So if you're an assistant <laughs> manager, manager. <laughs> so it's all the same. No, no, it's good to be accurate. Um, I, when I was at Deloitte, I um, got promoted. I had two promotions at Deloitte and I was a manager. Okay. When I left uh, Deloitte, I, had an, I was an experienced manager. Okay. And how was the transition like from being a single contributor to a team contributor? Did you have any challenge leading people? Like my challenge was when I started, I would give it to somebody and they say, you know what, you know, I would push the person aside and say, let me do it because we believe we are doing really well. And then we are reluctant to coach and teach somebody and there's a time lag and we kind of want to meet the deadline and we tend not to, I mean, we try to do ourselves and that's, uh, did you have any sort of those kind of problem getting into leadership role or managerial role? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you speak to my manager back then, um, or even the partner I used to work with, he will say absolutely. Like, I think, again, whether it's inherent in the nature of who uh, I am, it was that the pride in the quality and the value of them. I often felt like it's just easier if I just do it. True. 
but it took a while and again a lot of feedback and training and learning from other people and seeing how they do it but also realizing the impact on my well-being and not having a life if I try and do it all myself so I think like most people that transition from a doer as a consultant senior consultant up to manager it's a mindset shift I think it's probably the hardest transition because you are going from doing to influencing others to do what you've got to have a I guess a a a vision or be able to influence people and I was fairly young in my early 20s when I became a manager I believe I was Um, and I'm sitting there thinking why would people who might be older than me or younger than me why would they take instructions from me so that bit of sort of doubt and the sort of how am I going to do that was one of the challenges I faced not just personally making the shift but also just sort of that confidence and that doubt around how do I make that happen and how do how do I influence and make someone want to do it and I think it took me a while to realize you can't make someone do it you can influence and try and empower them encourage them and that's the challenging part of being a manager yeah. Okay, fantastic. No, I I thought it was not in my mind to ask, but I realized that would help a lot of people who are in a doer role and they do want to move up the value chain. But there are two issues in IT industry where I come from. One, if I become a manager, I'll become an Excel sheet guy or a girl, whatever. And I will not be really useful to the marketplace or to my employer, which is not the right thinking because when you move up the value chain, you understand the business much better because you are sitting with the stakeholders and all decisions and actions that you take is around how am I impacting business. When you are just a doer, you are just doing an activity. You are not really valuable. So it's other way around. Exactly. So what I would say, if I could say for anyone listening who's a doer, who wants to move that, make that shift, yeah. if I reflect back, there are two key things that will help. Yeah. And they're not technical skills. Yes. It's soft skills, so communication. Yes. How good is your written and verbal communication? Probably more verbal communication. Yeah. How do you manage upwards? Yes. How do you manage sideways yeah. and to your team, yeah. which requires really clear communication and very clear purpose and vision. Yeah. What is our purpose? What is our value proposition? Because then you're buying into getting team motivated. Yes. And it's something that's taken me a lot longer. I didn't realize it back then. But I would say this to anyone listening. If you are trying to move from a doer to a leader and work on improving your verbal communication, because that's how you are engaging with people above and sideways and the teams working with you, and the vision and purpose, how do you get buy-in? And they are hard skills. They're not things you learn from a textbook. No, definitely not. Yeah. Fantastic. No, good, good uh, points you cover. I know. So now you've been doing a strategy and uh, uh, all, all in risk, right? Risk, account, accounting, risk and strategy. And so what was the next move for you? Where did you move in technology or you, did you moved within the consulting? Some You did something else before you move into technology? Yeah, no, that's, I did a couple of things. So in Deloitte, then when I was at in audit, the internal audit and sort of doing strategy, I then decided that I wanted to move to industry. Okay. So I went to Combank and part of that was because I wanted to learn, again, learn new skills I'd never done industry and I wanted to see what it was like rather than consult. I then from there went to Westpac. So CBA and Westpac, I probably spent a good 10 years all together Mm. and I got to work with different kinds of businesses, businesses that were in remediation problems, 
building new practices within the uh, organization or growing businesses, getting to face into the regulator, being on subsidiary boards. So over that 10 years, I think the growth for me and the hands-on, so you really got the depth rather than the breadth which you get in consulting. So those 10 years gave me very deep hands-on depth in a lot of core competencies. And after that, I then moved back into consulting again, which was KPMG, because I wanted more breadth and I wanted to, again, develop new skills. So I came in as a director, which was more sales target, port leadership, business development and client relationship. So again, moving to the next level of leadership. Right. So a couple of quick questions here, and uh, this comes into a lot of professionals' mind. What do I do as my next change? Should I get into the enterprise, the, the word that you use, industry? Uh, people typically use enterprise. Like, should I get into an enterprise or be part of a consulting company? And you kind of uh, spoke in two words. If you want to, if you get into enterprise, uh, you find a role which can take you deeper in a specific business area. And when you are in consulting, you are quite broad, so broad. So you you kind of do different roles, and so it, is is that all the difference between an enterprise and working for consulting, the depth and the breadth, or anything else? Any one or two good things about, or important things about working in consulting, and important things about working in enterprise? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And what I will say is, after KPMG, I went back into industry or enterprise, okay. and then. <laughs> And then I came to IBM, which is a technology. Hard time back into consulting. Yeah. So it's kind of been back and forth. And what I would say is the depth and breadth is definitely different. Mm. I think the other part is also I found that consulting, the speed and pace is a lot faster. So you could be doing a client engagement for a month or two months or three months. We could have been that learning and the growth could be the equivalent of maybe six or more months in enterprise just by the nature of consulting. So I think the the learning and the pace is so different that I, I kind of find that what I did in four years of consulting could have taken me different time yeah. in industry. Yeah. But industry gave me a lot more practically. I wasn't just doing the talking and advising. Mm. Practically, how do you take the consulting advice and actually implement it. Right. And I think that's the thing in industry that taught me is you, how do you execute and implement it, get the change management, get the buy-in, navigating the political landscape. Right. How do you drive outcomes when people don't have to do it? Right. No, it completely, so com- very, very different. Very nicely put. So you've already shared the advantage of being in industry as well as in consulting. And to me, what it looks like, the way you explain, it's important to do both. Uh, and that makes you more valuable uh, when you're building your career. I would say 110%. I think you're spot on. Yeah. Uh, when I've been in consulting and I'm talking to clients and advising them, I can draw on other client examples. Right but I can also draw on my personal, personal experiences. So I can, I was uh, talking to a um, telco client uh, last month and I was sharing that if this is what you're trying to do, I've done this when I was in industry, these are the three challenges we faced. Mm. And this is one of the major risks that could actually derail the whole thing. Right. That is very practical. It's not something I could read in true. a textbook or learn from a webinar. True. Very true. So when you were in industry, what kind of career growth you saw for yourself? 
I think uh, that is probably where I would say my leadership. leadership. So moving from manager roles more up to executive manager and head of yeah. um, getting exposure. So taking that leap where you become a leader of leaders. So I was in a very fortunate position where I had become a head off and I had leaders underneath me who managed teams. Right. And so that is another mindset shift on you are now inspiring and influencing the leaders to then influence, inspire and get the work completed by their team. So again, another step from manager. So I found that really was a growth for me. The second thing was really the exposure in front of regulators okay. and the board. So actually seeing that governance and the work that we're doing, the value, that external lens from a board and a regulator uh, is a, an experience that I would say to anyone, it's gold because you really understand and start appreciating corporate governance right. and ASX and why certain things are done a certain way. Right. No, I can understand um, that. Very valuable. Yeah. And third thing I would say what really helped was I got involved in a lot of the public speaking through that time, but also more programs. So leading diversity, how do we get more women into technology? How do we help more um, Asians uh, take up more managerial roles? There were different sort of industry challenges. I got involved in various working groups, which kind of exposed me to things, but also made me reflect, okay, what are some of the challenges I've been through when I'm not alone? And how can I help other people? Right. And so that's one thing I look back and I'm really fond memories. Interesting. So three things you said. One is becoming leader, leaders of leaders. Second thing is regulatory and governance exposure. And the third thing is getting into these communities and uh, group representing and public speaking. So one by one, one, one question on each. So when you become a leader of leaders, so you, we talked about becoming a doer to a manager. That itself is a transition and it has its own challenges. When you become a leader of leader, what kind of challenges do you remember you faced and what did you do to overcome? Yeah, I think the big one I realized was just the political landscape or stakeholder management. Just you are navigating so many more stakeholders. Mm. It's, it's again talking about investments. It's talking about funding. It's making sure that your entire team is positioned. What is the value and how do you fit into the ecosystem? You now have a different level of responsibility. So that again was another learning. The second thing was again, when you're a manager, the team is reporting into you. You could have a flat structure or layers, yeah. but you essentially have everyone as you're, you're the people leader. Yeah. You are still connected to them. Yeah. When you step up as a leader of leader, you are two to three steps removed. Right. So how do you influence and drive the right culture? Right. You're relying on the leaders, but you also have a duty of care. And so again, even more, how do you influence how do you create a way for you to do check-ins, one level, skip level check-ins? Mm. And I think I had to find a way and learn from other people. How do I stay connected to my team? And while also being aware of if there are issues, what if they have an issue with their people leader? Mm. Or what if one of my direct leaders is doing something not appropriate? Mm. How do I create the trust and bond that someone will escalate it to me mm. And I need to intervene. Hmm. Hmm. And that was challenging. Uh, I would say that is um, 
that culture and that beauty of care and responsibility and having that overall responsibility mm-hmm. is there are so many different ways you need to think about of how you go about fulfilling that. I know a lot of people think when you become a people leaders or leaders of you are no more grounded in reality. You lose uh, uh, touch with your uh, subject matter and things like that. But I don't think it happened to you. You are a subject matter. You understand risk governance. You are able to advise CXOs and you understand cybersecurity and controls and everything. Uh, did you have this kind of thinking like, will I be lose my knowledge, uh, the ground reality and all of that? Did you have those kind of things or that's just a myth? No, no, absolutely. I did have that uh, thing as well. When I first started uh, leading or managing teams, I was like, well, I must be good at what's my core competency? Yeah. What am I bringing yeah. to the yeah. table? Yeah. And these people are so good at yeah. it. It took a while. And I think it's that mindset shift of accepting that your role is not to be the best uh, SME. It's actually about more around the communication, the purpose and vision, the culture of the team, managing stakeholders, getting funding, making sure the team is recognized, feeling appreciated, the safety and well-being. It's a lot more holistic, but you need to be able to have the conversation and dive in when you need to. Right but also know how to, I think there's two part, knowing what questions to ask. Right. And secondly, knowing who to ask or bring into the conversation. Right. And I think that's the thing that I would reflect back and go was the hard part. Mm. What questions do I ask? But then if I'm meeting a client or a stakeholder and I don't have the depth of knowledge, who's the person I bring with me and collectively we bring that confidence. And that is not natural when we, we go, well, I should know that. Why do I need to bring another? And whether it's a ego, it's a confidence, it's a way of working, it takes a mindset shift. Definitely. And it's about, I have to really think about being, how do we, as a collective team, everyone has a unique speciality. How do we bring the best of it together? I definitely, but that was hard initially. It is, and definitely. And when, but you have a very uh, good advantage. When I say you, meaning anybody who's in leadership position, is you interface with the internal stakeholders, senior stakeholders, as well as external senior stakeholders. So you always know why we are doing what we are doing. Whereas when you are more of a doer, you, if you, and there are so many layers in between, uh, you don't really feel the why of what you're doing. And that kind of makes you a monotonous, just doing stuff. And so there's more excitement on top from that perspective. You know why we are doing what we are doing. And uh, as a leader, that, that's the strength you have, that you're able to communicate down to your team and, you know, so that they can carry that, that mindset of why we are doing. And, you know, everything we do is aligned to why, at the end of the day, why we are doing and I think that's a challenge of leadership where most of the times it doesn't reach to the uh, team. Look, I agree with you that it is challenging um, to reach. I'll share two practical tips. Sure. That if someone listening is a leader, yeah. what they could do, yeah. but also if someone's a doer, how do you get that purpose? Okay. If you speak to any of my teams, there's a bit of a joke going in my IBM team at the moment. They they call it the a new P&O. And yeah. P&O stands for what's the purpose and outcome. What's the purpose and outcome, yeah. So every meeting invite, even my clients, when I send an agenda, the agenda says what's the purpose and these are the outcomes. 
So even with clients, I'm driving purpose and within my team. So if you're a leader, one simple technique is every meeting, every conversation, start with the purpose. We have a joke. It's a it's becoming a team joke at the moment. If you don't start with P with purpose, then Anu won't start the meeting. If you are a person who's doing a team role, you drive the conversation. You ask, can I just clarify what is the purpose of this meeting? Mm. And we did an exercise with my team. We did a strategy session and we've agreed our goals. Mm. What we're now doing is each team member is going, what's my core competency and what's the purpose of my role? Awesome. So each of my team members have now themselves connected to the team purpose, which connects to IBM's team purpose of being relevant to society, contributing. Our purpose is to protect critical infrastructure and safeguard Australia. And each of my team have now got a team purpose role, basically, and an individual one. Perfect. Perfect. Very insightful. Thank you for that. So we covered the, the transition part of it. Second is the when you get uh, close to regulators and uh, governance bodies and all, any insight that you learned, which was like, wow, if I had not done it or if I were not in that role, I would have never understood this. A lot of things that might look not important or just uh, why are we doing this? This is so much uh, rigor or why are these questions being asked? I think once you go into a boardroom and you appreciate what board of directors, their responsibility is, and they can go to jail or they can get fined, you start appreciating why they're asking those questions. But when that question tickles down, we go, why? Mm, mm. And similarly, when you sit in front of the regulator, you start appreciating their purpose and their role and you go, yeah, if they don't ask and if they don't come and check, How can they fulfill their duty? Mm. So I think that empathy and the appreciation for someone else's role and purpose, I think really gave me an insight that I probably hadn't given full appreciation and due acknowledgement. Got it. Got it. So you said three things. Well, first one was becoming the lead. So this is about your industry experience and how you grew. So you become leaders of leaders. You got to know about the ethics and regulatory and governance. And what was the third thing? Um, more about the empathy around understanding their purpose. Ah, right, right. So why they do what? Okay, fantastic. So that's pretty good. So that's done on the industry side and then you're back in consulting now. And I'm very keen to understand when was that transition from being in risk and compliance, which was part of your consulting and it was still kind of connected with your accounting world and moving from tax to internal audit to strategy. And when was that uh, shift into technology? So the technology shift still happened in industry because technology risk was part of what I dealt with. I was part of cloud transformation. I was part of offshoring projects. We had technology system implementations, digitization. You name all of that from a technology perspective. I was part of that journey for 10 years. Right. And then when I moved into KPMG in consulting, I did risk innovation, so developing new products. So I was working globally and we were figuring out what are the products and solutions that the market needs. But I also got exposure to large transformations, more technology risk, data risk and cyber risk. And then when I went back into industry again, my role was very much data, cyber, tech risk again. And so that consulting and that industry last part again, just amplified the focus again on 
cyber data and take risks. Right. Um, and I think that's the difference with maybe some of the listeners could be pure technology yes. or they might be wanting to move into technology. I've probably used my risk experience to add different points to risk. So it became risk innovation, risk for third parties, mm. risk in internal audit, right. uh, risk in tech, risk in cyber. Mm. And so my advice to anyone who wants to figure out how do you do it, yeah. try and find two dots to connect. Mm. It's very hard to just make a jump. Cool. I didn't jump from a chartered accountant to cyber. No. I've used a different core competency or a different skill and connected it and added value mm. and then learned the new thing and then jump again. Got it. Got it. And what was the learning like? Was it on the ground or did you have to study or certification or anything of that sort? Oh, lots of upskilling. So a lot of my teams know I call it lifelong learning. Yeah. And something I'm very passionate about is um, really how do you upskill yourself and stay relevant? Mm. If you look at the World Economic Forum, they talk about one of the skills that people need to have is that curious mindset, the ability to continue learning. Yeah. And if we look at what the World Economic Forum is saying as the new future skills, they're saying a lot of the existing skills are not going to be needed. There are a whole new set of skill sets. Yeah. So how do we individually stay relevant? Mm. How does organizations stay relevant? So I do a lot of upskilling myself, mm. but I also have lifelong learning that I encourage and include in my team. Mm. So we have a lifelong learning as part of our team goals here at IBM. Right. And it's part of our KPIs. And it is something that we actually share. So we have a lifelong learning moment as part of our team meetings as well. Interesting. That's very nice. So the journey has actually been, yeah, it's been your spot on. It's been either doing certifications, but that's again theory. Yeah. Then it's been a lot of one-on-ones uh, from picking other people's brains. That's very important. Um, and uh, uh, I think yeah, I, like it could be yeah. even like someone on LinkedIn, I might ask them a question mm. or start following people on LinkedIn, lots of reading, but really it's been finding opportunities to learn the practical part. I think that's the part that I'm most worried about when people go, I'll do a certification, mm. but practically you also need to learn how to do it. And I think, finding opportunities on your job or through your mentor right. to get a special project. I think every job I've been on, I've always done special projects, mm. which have been to learn the new skill. And that's usually been after hours or on weekend in my own time, but I wanted to do it. And so I made time. I'm, I'm happy you said that. So one of the questions in my quiz, I've created a quiz which says, uh, you know, assess your career strength. And one of the questions is uh, uh, you have at least one, uh, project uh, running outside your uh, day routine yes no and you said everywhere you had one special project running so you no know, that's i mean very few people would be able to do everywhere you have worked so that's incredible you know, very very nice i've had i've had great people supporting me in my family and also work life yeah that's, absolutely that's awesome so we have covered a lot of ground and uh, you talked about a lot of things moving from and one good thing you said, moving thing is connect the dots rather than trying to make a big jump that you you can't handle. You talked about transitioning from doer to managerial, from managerial to leadership role. You talked about the the language change, the thought process change as you grow up in your career. You talked about very clearly how you move from accounting to technology, and it was a 
it was a step by step. It was not a big jump. And it required you to learn and learning why you said reading, verification, meeting people, and of course, finding opportunity where you could actually do it so that you feel confident and then keep moving on. So that's, that's, that's incredible. A uh, couple of quick uh, last minute questions is in today's era, uh, as you see, building uh, visibility and thought leadership is extremely important if you want to be a professional relevant for long. And I see you have started to do a lot of uh, uh, keynote speaking and stuff like that. In anything in particular, you have uh, invested your time and effort in, in building your authority as an industry leader? No, that's a good question. And that's uh, one thing at IBM, we call it a social eminence. Mm, okay, that's so interesting. Be, okay, good. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, I really like that it's, it's uh, just part of everyone's role. It's encouraged, it's support, and we get time to do it. So I probably started my social eminence about six years ago cool. when I was in industry. And what I would say is I think having a voice in the industry or in the consulting world, being able to contribute back. So again, your what's your purpose? Why are you doing it? How are you staying relevant? One way to stay relevant is by providing advice or sharing your opinion or view. For me, one of the big drivers, it's changed a bit over the time, but one big thing is how do I help bring diversity into technology and cyber? And I'm not just saying female and male, I'm talking diversity in all its forms. Got it. And I could say in our cyber team right now, we've got 40% women. Mm. I think we've got 50% diversity from, we've got people with a law degree psychology degree, I'm a risk person, yeah. all these skills needed to help fight cybercrime. If we just think we need a typical cyber expert, that's not how the criminals think. Mm. So for me, the reason for doing social eminence is also to try and pave the way for more diversity to come in. Mm. I think I'm a good example of diversity, a chartered accountant who is in cyber at the moment. Yeah. Um, how do we help do that? Right. And that's part of the reason that I do the social eminence. Mm. It's also a way to help other people get into cyber mm. and make that career transition. Very different ways. One is today, you and I are talking, this is a podcast, yep. that's social eminence. Yes. Um, I do a lot of conferences. Yes. It could be um, webinars. Yes. It could be writing an article. I do some posts on LinkedIn at least once a week. Okay. You can start very small, mm. but just on LinkedIn, for example, and then build your confidence to other things. Got it. Right. So now I remember, you remember when we were talking about what are the three things you got out of industry. So you said becoming a leaders of leaders and then understanding governance and control. And the third one is, is this one where you said you started to involve more on uh, the community, diversity, diversity and all of those things, which I had forgot that time. So now I remember. So your journey started in the industry. So uh, even today you do a lot of uh, uh, talks on diversity and that's an agenda that uh, you are strongly pursuing. And of course the podcast and uh, when you write something, it's about diversity or it's about a subject matter, which is uh, cybersecurity. So I write on uh, probably more on my expert area, mm. which is cybersecurity risk and strategy and compliance with a purpose to help clients or help other professionals. professionals. So again, purpose comes purpose. in again. Why am I doing And it will also be around lifelong learning. How do you upskill? Right. How right. do you do lifelong learning? The diversity part, I will actually weave it in to bring out and encourage mm. it rather than making a standalone because there are so many things people have to remember. Yeah. So if I can keep it simple, yeah. upskill, yeah. but have the diversity run through it, cybersecurity, let's protect and secure Australia and New Zealand. Awesome. 
politic diversity to it. Awesome. You know, that's fantastic. You know, you've covered it very well. So I think I've come to the end of all questions I had in my mind. One typical question I ask everybody is if uh, you had to go back in time and think about 20-year-old Anu, what would be one, two or three advice you will give to her? I would probably say the advice I got from my high school teacher. Yeah. So when I arrived in Australia, I obviously had to learn English yeah. and my English teacher spent a lot of time with me to really build up very quickly so I could get to the level. She wrote down in my yearbook, stop, take time to stop and smell the roses. Right. Reason be, being that I would say that I would say that again to myself yeah. and even today yeah. is because of some of the challenges, whether it's migrants or if you're changing career. Yeah we may want it really fast mm. and we don't just stop and appreciate that, you know what, it's going to take time. Mm. Let's believe in ourselves and give it time. I think uh, the speed factor, the pace, we need to do it quickly so we can move on to the next thing. Mm. And sometimes you kind of just don't really appreciate what you have achieved or what impact you've done. No. So I would say just that again to myself particular and um, other people listening. No, good message for me as well. I think all of us uh, go through that at times. We just ignore things and don't acknowledge, you know, life is not just about rushing and achieving and creating results. Uh, it's much more to that. No, I really appreciate that. Is there anything, Anu, you thought I should have asked, which I, I didn't? That's a good question. I think you've asked really good questions and it's been a really good conversation. It's been like as if we were sitting here having Indian We just didn't have the tea. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that yeah. conversation. I did. I would say, look, um, probably one that could be uh, for all your listeners, if someone is in technology or not in technology, one of the things could be, how do you get into cyber as a profession? Okay. I think that's one thing that I'm, I get asked a lot. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'll share that. Yes, definitely. I'd say if you're looking, if you're a technology professional or you're not a technology professional, but you would like to actually move into cybersecurity because it is something that's it's the thing for the next decade. Yeah. Like cybersecurity has been called out the thing for the next decade. It's front of mind. It's got a really strong purpose. You are contributing to society. Like the fact that my team are helping secure water, electricity, food manufacturing, you feel a sense of service that you are helping your family, your friends, the community. So I'd say if someone wants to move in, number one, have a think about the purpose. Why do you want to do it? How do you connect to the purpose of what cybersecurity as a profession is? Because if you understand that and connect, then all the challenges will not be as hard. Yeah. Number two, you do need to upskill. Yeah. And it's not just about certification. Yep, certification badges, but try and get involved inside your current organization or through your mentor or find ways to listen to webinars, the YouTube material, certification, but also that special project. Hmm. Ask someone, can I get involved in one part of cyber? Right. And we've got a shortage in the industry and a talent gap. So any people who want to learn are going to be welcomed. Number three is join the associations because you're going to then network and meet other people. So connect with people in LinkedIn, connect with other cyber professionals. I think Chirag and Abbas who have been on your yeah, podcast, yeah. I met them through LinkedIn. Awesome. Like I went, they're cyber professionals. Let me connect with yes. them. And finally, have a voice in the industry. So even if you are not a cyber professional today, yeah. 
read something about cyber, share something about cyber, right. like the Joint Cyber Security Center, or just get a voice, add a comment, or share a thought or an article to start getting visibility. Awesome. And every word you said has a meaning and you're very succinct in the way you explained. So uh, awesome. And I got a lot out of this conversation and I'm sure others who are listening uh, also get a lot from this. So thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your message. And, uh, uh, you know, we would uh, love to connect back again. Is If somebody wants to reach out to you, you know, liking what you're doing or want to be mentored, is there any way they can connect to you? Yeah, no, look, and thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. Look me up on LinkedIn and connect with me. And if I can't help, I'll make sure I connect with Somebody. so many other professionals. But absolutely, LinkedIn is the best way. And let's welcome more people into the industry. Awesome. Thank you very much. I know it was nice talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host Ehsan Ali. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with Anu and learned heaps about transitioning roles, moving up in leadership role and building personal brand. Let me know what you got out of Anu's story and if you are looking for your next big adventure either within employment or wanting to transition to entrepreneurship, do connect with me on LinkedIn. I may be able to help you myself or will connect you with someone who has already been on the journey you are contemplating right now.